Hi, I'm Greg Eulen with Reynolds & Reynolds, and this is Connected. Uh, today's a little bit different of an episode for us. I'm pretty excited about it, so hang with me and uh, let me know what you think. Uh, but we're going to actually piece together a few conversations that we've had over the last few years. Um, our producer, uh, Molly Swigert, actually went through and, and found some topics that are, are kind of evergreen, and, and they're coming back to the surface now. So I wanted to share them today. Uh, we also have our uh, Reynolds Retail Summit coming up uh, September 25th and 26th, and a lot of these topics are still top of mind and they're evolving. Uh, so some of these speakers or some of these people will be speaking at the conference as well. So I uh, wanted to share some of these uh, today and, and we'll dive right in. So the first one uh, is is a uh, pretty well-known guest, uh, Brian Pash. Brian was on the podcast not too terribly long ago, but uh, one of the things that he was talking about, and he's been talking about for quite a while, is the uh, the idea of a customer data platform and and what to do with it. I mean, first of all, what it is, but also how do you act on it? And uh, Brian has some really good ideas on this. Brian will actually be speaking at uh, at our Reynolds Retail Summit. Um, he'll be on the second day on Tuesday at 11 a.m. So if, if you're interested, it uh, should be a great conversation in, in an interactive session with him. But for now, take a listen to this, uh, this conversation we had uh, a few months back. No, that's good. And, and you mentioned, you know, Modern Retailing Conference is the name of it, MRC. Um, you mentioned Connected Retail. There's a lot of words out there. We, you know, and I think I want you to define this for me a little bit, but I think it's it's similar to what we call uh, internally and, and externally uh, being able to retail anywhere. That's right. Um, so I think it's a lot of the same philosophies. But in your words, what when you say modern retailing or connected retailing, what do you mean? What, what's important about that? Sure. So people have put digital retailing tools on their website, but for the most part, they have not... Uh, use the same tools inside the showroom. So as nice as a digital retailing tool could be online, when the consumer walked in, typically they were shown an antiquated desking system or a different visual tool or, or, a, piece of paper. Yeah, or a piece of paper, right? <laughs> and so um, the trust breaks down. So knowing that we are not at a point to transact completely online because the consumers don't want that, they nine out of 10 consumers still want to come in, touch, feel the car and, and get advice. Um, we at least should be making sure that whatever we present online, the look and feel, the numbers, the accuracy is the same tools we use in the showroom. And I think that connected experience builds trust, um, uh, accelerates the transaction and allows the time to be focused on the things that are really important, like finding the right vehicle for the consumer and not, you know, uh, jumping around the hoops with numbers. So. I think a modern retailing uh, process is consistent, it's transparent, uh, and it values the consumer's time. And what we were, we started with was tools to expose on the website was what was once only available in the in the showroom or in the F and I office. That was phase one digital retailing. I'm going to bring out to the outside world the stuff that we kept secret, which was. The payments, basically, right? I think connected retailing is now, okay, now that that didn't blow up our business because some dealers thought that's the end of the world, we, we don't talk about payments outside the four walls of the dealership. Now it's, let's make sure it's the same experience. And then the future, which would be, as you mentioned, retailing uh, anywhere, is the idea uh, of a single source of truth, a single sales process that can be executed on mobile, it can be ex executed on tablet, desktop, at work, in to the degree that the dealer and the consumer are comfortable, where 
that including would be electronic signatures and e-contracting, right? I mean, that would be the anywhere piece would mean, yeah, nine out of 10 might like it today, but in the future, will more and more people feel comfortable of just signing and delivering? Right. Okay. When all of that happens, then it's not only a connected retail experience, but it can be done anywhere. Yep. Absolutely. And, and I would layer into that too. I mean, I think you're spot on, but I would layer in, we, we talk a lot about, um, and we all do the consumer experience, right? And enabling that consumer interaction, but that's only half of the equation. Right. And the other half is the person that's in the store or you know, that frankly, they could probably be anywhere too. Uh, but the dealership employee and making that process easy and seamless for them. Uh, did you ever work retail growing up or I, is it? I did, but not yeah. in automotive. Sure. Yeah. So, so I grew up in a parts store, auto parts store, um, worked retail work and then I worked at uh, Target too in, in college. So I had a decent amount and then coming out of, coming out of college, did retail, um, actually started a, a parts company, long, long story, but uh, worked retail a pretty decent amount of uh, time. And I can tell you just in that experience, and I'm sure you've had the same experience, it can be really stressful as somebody that's trying to deliver a good customer experience, trying to deliver a good guest experience. Uh, but you got two people on hold on the phone, you got three people standing in front of you. And for me at that time, trying to look up parts in a catalog, <laughs> like right, an actual right, physical right, catalog, right. you know, and finding the right part. Um, there's just a lot of, a lot of stress on you too. So it's really difficult to provide a great experience. So, uh, I think as important as the, the customer experience is the dealership employee experience and making that seamless for, for both sides of the equation. Right. And, and I think even the movements in the industry to, uh, uh, offer consumers a single point of contact, yeah. okay, is along the lines with, hey, if the tools are really consistent and what's what the consumer saw online is the same that the sales associate is presenting, if it's a guided tour, if it has some workflow logic, if it has some bumpers that the, the sales associate can't go off the rails on, uh, isn't this a better experience for then both the consumer and the sales associate. And we're finding it is. Yeah. And so even though there's not one modern sales process, it is very different than the traditional sales process. And that's what we're going to highlight in November at the Modern Retailing Conference. What does a modern retailing process look like if you're a single point or if you're a traditional, you know, F&I manager, but what's different about it that is worthy of saying this is a modern refresh on something that has worked, but no longer is relevant to consumers. Man, Brian is so good, and I always appreciate his thoughts and, and insights for sure. Uh, looking forward to see him, seeing him again as always, and, and I think he's got a conference coming up in the fall as well, so we'll, we'll have more on that later. But um, one other small snippet from that same conversation, it was uh, a little later on, though. Check this one out. So I think the future is going to look something like this. The outside of automotive multi-million dollar companies and billion dollar companies, some of these groups are are building customer data platforms or customer data engagement platforms where they're uh, making sure they have a single source of truth for their customer data and all the interactions. For car dealers today, it's really hard yeah. because they have too many cooks in the kitchen. They have five or six or seven vendors on their website and then they have a separate email marketing company for service and a separate email marketing for sales. Then they have a separate text messaging company and a direct, you know, okay. Yeah. So the, the future I think is going to be 
the automotive industry is going to look to tech providers who can uh, create and maintain and securely store their customer data in a way that larger dealer groups might uh, leverage for their own digital marketing platform uh, execution, or others are going to look for companies who can do it for them. But I think the days of having 12 companies in and accessing customer data with disconnected marketing messages, we've we've had this problem for years. Right. But what's going to change? I think it's the new privacy laws. I think when dealers realize that they sent their gave their DMS access to this e- two email companies and two direct mail companies and this, 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 this. And then they start getting lawsuits because when someone filled out the form, the dealer didn't disclose, well, these 10 companies are going to get a copy of your data. Well, then it's going to, you know, money mm-hmm. is going to move to what the bigger dealer groups already know. I got to own my data, I have to have a single source of truth, and I need to leverage that single source of truth to power personalized marketing. How we get there and how fast we get there, I don't know. But the larger dealer groups are working on these projects. They're called CDP projects or CDXP for uh, experience platforms. But that is uh, the future. And, you know, in my viewpoint, uh, Reynolds and Reynolds uh, is going to be a key player in that space only because of all the touch points that you can see and the data security that you already have in place, right? So I think we're going to move in the future to try to lock down our data a little bit more, not from using it, but from making sure we don't get lawsuits because we are sloppy with it. Well, and and if you want to I'll say terrifying experiment, create a, create a Gmail address, just some generic one that you don't give to anybody, fill out a form on your website and see how many emails you start getting and who they're from. Um, that, that is really enlightening. Um, you know, when after three weeks you're getting emails from companies that you have no interaction with, and it wouldn't even necessarily make sense for you to be getting an email from, um, there's only one place that you entered that email address. Right. So try that and just see what happens. You know, we have, um, we have a, a platform available to our dealers. We call it Interface Dashboard, and, and they can log in and see exactly where every anybody that's ac- accessing data that they've uh, approved to, to send data to. They can see you know what's going there and and how often and and who it's going to. So there's tools that are in place today for people to check these things out, but. You know, if you just want a quick, uh, it's not fun. It's the word that keeps coming to my head, but right. a, a terrifying experiment. Create, yeah. a, create a fake email address, put it in and see what happens. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I occasionally put my email address in LinkedIn, you know, and, and just in an article, contact me. Oh, man, the scrapers, go, <laughs> they go crazy, you know. OK, uh, that's a deliberate. You know, you put out in the public, you get what you get. But I, I think that um, what dealers are going to need to realize If we look at the future, and this is where more collaboration has to come in, we need as an industry to understand that outside of automotive, CDPs are how multi-million dollar and billion dollar corporations value their customers and increase the lifetime value. And somehow, in some way, the auto industry has to wake up and saying, spray and pray 
spray and overlap double mail or send outdated messages to people um, isn't smart. And maybe it's because we had unlimited cars to sell and we were always selling cars and always profitable. But with the changes in the future, I think the local dealership ownership of the customers can become even more important. And anything they can do to protect that customer uh, relationship and to enhance the customer relationship instead of maybe watering it down, I think it's important. I always love talking to Brian. It's just a fun conversation to have. Uh, looking forward to, to seeing him again, obviously, as always. Uh, another topic that has been around for, for a while, it's been evolving for a while, but it, it seems like it, it is just getting more and more in the forefront of things going on, is, is the idea of cybersecurity. Uh, and, and the FTC safeguards amendments went into play here last June. They were obviously delayed for six months or so uh, heading into that. But uh, the, these type of cyber incidents and, and phishing incidents continue to pop up over and over again. Um, so we're lucky enough to have uh, have talked with Brett Holton, who is the founder of Proton Technologies. Uh, Proton is a company that that focuses on IT management, cybersecurity, among other things. Uh, but Brad is is a real wealth of knowledge when it comes to these these pieces of the industry and, and why it's so important and, and really a fundamental part of your business and, and frankly, table stakes. Um, so take a listen to this conversation. It was definitely a fun one. So where are you seeing the biggest gaps between what dealers have today in place and what they need, whether it's for insurance requirements or for the FTC safeguards rule amendments? What what are the areas that you see them honing in on? Or maybe when you come in or your team comes in, where are the biggest gaps? Uh, you know, well, the biggest gaps that we focus on and that we're, you know, kind of immediately just alarmed about when we walk into a dealership that's a brand new opportunity uh, is is the low-hanging, low-level stuff that's not even being done. Okay. You know, we'll walk in and see computers that are running Windows 7 that haven't had any kind of, you know, security support in three years. Right. Um, you know, they don't have antivirus, so they have legacy antivirus that doesn't really work against anything modern. That's the part um, that amazes me. So when you get into this antivirus software and just endpoint protection in general, so putting something on a PC or on a phone or, or whatever, um, how quickly that stuff changes and becomes obsolete. Yeah, yeah, the updates are just, it's almost constant. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's, you know, any of the brands that existed, you know, I, I can't name brands, but just stuff that was common five, seven years ago yeah. does absolutely nothing for any of the current stuff. And, and the reason why, at a very high level, is that the way antivirus typically works is it looks at a database and it looks at a file you're downloading and it looks at the signature of the file and it says, you know, I've seen this before because it's in my master database. That's a bad guy. I'm going to block it. That's typically what antivirus does and not much more. Mm-hmm. The problem is that now the, the bad, bad guys, for lack of a better word, the hackers, are generating files on demand. So when you go to click a download link, it actually generates the file, adds a little bit of content to it, maybe changes one digit somewhere in a file. So the signature is brand new. It's never been seen before. So when you download it, your, your antivirus, its traditional legacy version, has never seen that file before. Mm-hmm. Every single file becomes a zero-day exploit. And as a result, it gets past antivirus all day long. So the modern stuff uh, called endpoint detection or managed detection response, it uses a totally different process called heuristic modeling that uh, I don't want to get too deep. (laughs) Uh, It basically injects itself into everything so it can see literally what's going on. And then we can see every single computer simultaneously. So you can see that, you know, one computer is attacking another computer on the network or scanning the network or doing things it shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. So it gives you a much more kind of broad, holistic approach to the environment and able to kind of see things that are activities that shouldn't be happening, regardless of whether a file is brand new or not. So Hmm. uh, having tools like that in place, we're not seeing much of that. You know, walking in and, and, 
just seeing, you know, like we, we did a, a security audit. I flew into a, a, a flew across the country, did a what was going to be a cybersecurity audit, and I was done in seven minutes. Oh. And I mean, I walked in, I sat down, I said, just take me to a computer that's not being used. And I sat down to Windows 7 computer with no security at all, no password on it, no, you know, I said, oh, let's just try one more. Just take me to another computer that's not being used. And we take another one. It's Windows 10, but it's not much better. Yeah. And I said, okay, I'm done. You know, I've been here seven minutes and you guys don't even have like the first 10 things I would audit. You don't have any of them. Yeah. So there's not much point in me spending a whole lot of time here writing a big report because mm-hmm. this is just pointless. So they signed up and we started, you know, kind of getting getting the basics done and then building a you know platform on top of that to get yeah. to getting them you know ninety nine percent hardened up. Yeah. So so once you have that foundation, then what are the next pieces? So if you're honing in and, and you go into a store and it's like you got nothing, right? Uh, you get the you get the nothing to something. So then, you know, then what's our, next? Our biggest concerns in the security world, like the big three events that are going to take a dealership uh, into a really bad place. It's going to be a data breach where we're going to lose customer data and we're going to have to you know, deal with the fact that we've lost customer data. We're going to have to go out and inform all the consumers. Uh, we're going to have to deal with legal issues. We're going to have to buy credit and monitoring software. I mean, all that stuff, that's, that's number one. Mm-hmm. So we want to protect against that. Uh, second is ransomware and shutting down the entire dealership, right? That's the one that terrifies me when I hear about that. It's just, you have no idea how many times this happens. It's, it's like the, the loudest secret you could possibly have <laughs> in the dealership world. Right? I mean, everybody goes to 20 groups. Everybody knows this happens every single week, but nobody ever talks about it. But yeah. I promise you, our phone rings every week yeah. with some, you know, some dealer group that's been referred to us or some dealer that we already have that has a buddy that's, you know, under ransomware attack right now. It's just constant. So you know, that's the big second one. And the third one is wire transfers. Uh, just getting access to, you know, phishing and getting into systems and getting information yeah. and, and getting illicit funds. So those are the three things that we really focus on. FTC, if you do all of this, you're going to get mm-hmm. pretty close on the FTC. And then you'll just have to tack on like vendor assessments and written information security plans and incident response plans. But yeah. if you get kind of all these other things knocked out, you've kind of hit most of the FTC stuff. Okay. So that's that's the thing we come in. We focus on ransomware protection first. Let's get secure. Let's get the managed detection response. Let's get you know some SIM solution in. We're monitoring everything. We're getting alerts. Uh, let's get backups in place, right? So if something does happen, we've got really good backups of everything. So it's not that big a deal. We can always restore for backup. Right. Um, you know, let's get the data breach locked down and make sure that there's no way anybody's getting any good access to our information. And then, you know, on the wire side, it's it's protecting everything as best we could, but it's also doing a lot of business kind of process consulting and saying, okay, guys, you know, if someone sends you an email that you've been buying cars from for 10 years right. and they say, you know what, we're going to change our wire instructions and here's the new wire account, you know, for those it's 10 cars you're buying from us right now. And your person doesn't stop and go, wait a minute. I've been wiring for 10 years to this account. Now I'm getting an email that says to wire here. How do I handle this, right? You stop, you call the dealership, you talk to the person you know, you don't call the number on the email, you don't go by the email, you verify in three or four different ways. You know, because it's, it's a big thing, right? We're yeah. changing where we're sending money. Well, and it's a lot of money. Yeah. It's not, I mean, we're, we're not talking about 20 bucks. You would right? be amazed. <laughs> you would be absolutely amazed how many times we get calls where, you know, or we get to be brought in as, you know, kind of consultants on a legal case where, you know, someone has just gotten an email that changes the wire instructions. We had one, one group up in, oh, it's a single kind of high-end store uh, that, that got two different emails the same day to change wire instructions. And they've been wiring funds out to these two different, you know, ones they were buying from for 10 years. Yeah. And they just changed the account and wired off $800,000 to a hacker. Um, so, you know, consulting business processes and financial yeah. controls and then kind of hardening up the environment and preparing for the worst to make sure we don't have to deal with the worst. 
I really enjoyed that conversation with Brad. Uh, always has always has great ideas. Um, another founder that uh, we got to have on the show and had a really good conversation with, actually a couple different times, but uh, going back through, this was one uh, from NADA a couple years ago. Um, we got to sit down with Todd Marcelli, uh, who was the founder of GoMoto, and talk about uh, the customer experience and the customer relationship through the lens of the, the service department. Um, really enjoyed this conversation, so take a listen to this one too. So when you think about that, uh, what are the biggest changes you've seen in, in how a service advisor operates, what their job is, and, and how would you kind of define the characteristics that make a good a service advisor today? Yeah, so let, let's take that question in two parts because I think right. it's really important. I think there's been an evolution in service technology. So 10 years ago, um, you know, customers would just show up and very few would actually schedule an appointment. Right. Then scheduling software came in and that kind of transitioned our business from a wild, wild west to a plan type of business where, you know, we started to see 20 percent, then 30, then 40, then 50. You know, most dealerships now run at, you know, 70, 80, some 100 percent capacity on appointments and have very little ability to service kind of the the walk in type of customer. Right. So that's been a big evolution because it's forced us to change the way we we do business. But more importantly, it's also given us more intelligence about the customer, because when a customer walks and you don't know what problem they have. Now, when they set an appointment, you actually have a process by which to understand and decipher kind of what, what the initial problem is or service. We have a BDC that actually calls and confirms and asks some key questions, and it prepares our advisors and the technology, frankly, that we want to select to be much more um, curated to the process that we want to have. And so then it goes into, okay, what does that mean for the service advisor? Well, you know, 10 years ago, the service advisor was the main conduit to by which, you know, we had a relationship with the dealership. And that still hasn't changed. What has changed is ultimately the way that we want to treat our customers because, you know, COVID, good or bad, right, has created a convenience experience for our customers that they expect everything, you know, frankly, on demand, when they want it, how they want it, yeah. right? And so that's forced us as dealers and as a technology partner to think about what do we need to do to ensure that we offer an omni-channel experience to our customers, right? Right. So I, I break customers into kind of three sets now, right? You have the old school customer, right? That still wants to come in and have that one-to-one -one relationship with the advisor. Right. You then have kind of the newer age consumer, right? That is think EV customer, right? That all of it is technologically leading, right? So the older set of customers, about 20%, the um, kind of newer customer, you know, the EV type of customer that's all about ultra convenience right. is, you know, 20, 30%. And they want to literally not talk to anybody, phone or text message that the car is done do everything electronically and then pick the car up you know, at their terms. Right. And then you have kind of the middle of the road that are now adopting that kind of mode where they've kind of transitioned into, I like convenience. I want to be able to come in. I don't want to wait for 30 minutes, right? I want trust. I want transparency and I want convenience. And that's the majority of our customer base today. And so what's happened with the advisors is that um, kind of that opening end, because life has just gotten busier, has moved away from kind of that trust building that used to happen 10 years ago when you walked in and spent 20 yeah. minutes. It's now happening post MPI. So what customers want is a fast, convenient experience, but they still want the trusted relationship of the advisor to call them or text them or email them, for example, an electronic MPI, where once they've had the opportunity to actually look at the vehicle, inspect it, and share those results with me as a consumer, that's where the trust is. is Because, you know, I think there's an old school debate about 
you know, when that customer walks in, I do that, you know, dedicated walk around and right. spend 10 minutes trying to upsell them. Customers are still skeptical, right, about that process. What they're not skeptical about because they've, they've learned the buying habits from kind of e-commerce is that I'm willing to make the investment to come to you as a dealer. Yeah. Always love getting to talk with Todd. Great guy and really good ideas about the industry. Um, you know, going back to that same NADA, it was the first NADA that we did interviews at the show. Uh, also got to sit down with Maxine Olson from Volkswagen Credit. We had a really interesting conversation about e-contracting. Uh, and it's it's fascinating to see how fast things have progressed over the last uh, year and a half or so since we had this conversation. Um, we're really, you know, across the industry going all in on e-contracting. And it, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, but listening on this conversation and some of the things that Volkswagen was doing then and they're continuing to do, uh, this will be a conversation that we definitely have a follow-up on sometime soon uh, because so much is changing so fast. So take a listen. All right, so Maxine, I get to talk to dealers a lot about the contracting process from their perspective. Um, I don't get the opportunity a lot to talk to lenders about the contracting process from your perspective. So I want to get into that uh, with this conversation. So to start, can we talk a little bit about what the traditional contracting process looks like? So from a dealer, right, they sign paper, they stuff it in a FedEx envelope, and they ship it off. And then at that point, it, it comes to your, you know, your team, Volkswagen Credit. Um, what happens once it gets there? Well, from that perspective, from the paper perspective, it is sorting through the mail, pulling out all different kinds of paperwork, which can be several different pages, several different folders, and then manually entering all that data, looking at it, auditing it, and then finding out that there's something wrong with a contract and now mailing it back to the dealer and saying, look, there's a problem. We have to have it fixed. The dealer takes time, gets the customer back into the office. Then it gets mailed back to us, which, of course, is weeks later. Yeah. And um, then it gets finally funded. And it's worked sometimes several different times before it's funded. So obviously it's not sustainable. Right, right. And it's people heavy, right? You have somebody physically reviewing the paper. Um, how many deals can a person do in a day? You know, how many, how, it seems like it's got to be very re resource intensive. When it's paper, yeah. yes, there's not that many deals that you can do in a day. And the problem is, is when you have to redo that same deal over and over, it's that's where it becomes difficult. So it's not even so much how many can you do in a day, but how many times do you have to do the same deal in a day? Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Um, so fast forward to today's world and we're, we're really pushing into e-contracting, right? And yes. not just not just digital signing, not getting something signed and then, you know, scanning it in and, and, and reviewing it in an electronic format, but rather... Correct. E-contracting. So maybe to start um, from from Volkswagen credits and your perspective, can you define e-contracting? When you say e-contracting, what do you mean? Sure. That is a really good question because it does have different meanings in the industry. So e-contracting for us is going through what we call the vault. So the vault system. So electronically signing all your document and with VCI, you can sign all of the paperwork through the electronic signatures, and then it goes into and sent over to us electronically into the vault and the contract is secured. So that to us is where it's very important. We do understand that there are certain documents for the DMV that need to be printed out for the customer, but for us, none of that has to be. It can all be electronically signed and electronically sent over to us. And if you can think about that versus paper, you can already see where the efficiencies are. Yeah. yeah. And for a dealer, obviously, it, 
a lot of it lies in contracts in transit, right? Being able to to get a funded deal and just get cash in bank quicker. When you when you're doing a decent amount of deals, if you have any amount of volume and if you have multiple stores, that that number gets really big really fast. Really big. Yeah. So being able to, to speed that up and, and reduce that amount of money that's just kind of sitting out there because it hasn't been funded yet is a big deal and it can really help with cash flow. What about for you guys from the lender's perspective? What are the benefits of moving to e-contracting? Where do you you know, where do you see the benefits? Wow. There are so many benefits (laughs) on our end as well. If you think about what I talked about for the paper process versus electronic process. So now it comes into us and it is all on a screen and it is all actually input already. So we don't have that mail process of sorting. We do not have the scanning of the documents. We do not have the manual entry. So it actually takes us about a third of the time to process one document or one funding package as it would for paper. It's already in there. And most of the time, the fund it right the first time is a lot higher, up to 23% higher. So now we've cut and 23% of our reworks out. So the other part that's extremely important, especially since the pandemic, is our funders can fund from anywhere. They do not have to physically be in the office because it comes directly to their computer and they can fund from home. So it is extremely important to us to keep our productivity as we we go forward and move forward to be very process-driven. We have to have a high productivity and not have to hire other people, especially when you have the seasons where sometimes it can be very um, manual intensive during your hot selling season. And that's when CIT gets bad is we can't fund those deals. So it it does make a huge difference for us. Yeah. So are are you able to then... um you know, maybe take some of those resources and people, right, and, and expand them and either do more deals or or help them do other things to make an impact for your company or for the dealers. Um, you, you had mentioned your organization is a very wide ranging organization and, and field training and all kinds of things that you're doing in the dealer community, too. Um, what has that meant to be able to be more productive when it comes to funding the actual deal and employing uh, those resources to, to accomplish other things? Sure, which is a really good question, because we uh, are we're not looking to make our funding staff smaller. Right. What we're doing is we're trying to be more efficient so we can help the dealers in those areas where they need help. So the problem deals where they really do need our assistance and we can help them. We are available for them now versus, hey, you know what? We have hundred deals that we have to get through and we don't have time for our dealers. So it's really about servicing our dealers and making sure that when we process their paperwork, it's efficient, it's done right, and we can help. I still love that conversation with Maxine. She's, she's great and has great ideas and, and enjoyed her sitting down and, and talking with us. Um, another one, and, and probably our last one for today that I want to share is, is a newer conversation that we had, um, but one that I'm, I'm really excited about. So I got to sit down with AJ McGowan. AJ is the founder of AutoVision, a company that uh, uh, we actually acquired not too long ago. And I'm excited about what they're doing in in the used vehicle space and vehicle acquisition and merchandising. Um, A a lot of really interesting things. It's one of those areas that it seems like um, we've accepted the status quo for so long because, quote unquote, it's not broke, right? That uh, uh, it's really time to take a new look, a fresh look 
and what AJ and his team have built and what they're doing at AutoVision uh, is, is pretty interesting. So take a listen to this conversation. Uh, you can also see AJ at the uh, Reynolds Retail Summit here in September. He'll be there uh, kind of engaging in conversations, but also just showing off what, what he's built. So make sure to see him if you're there. And, and dealers have been doing this for a long time, right? On a lot of different levels, um, been been buying cars and selling cars and, and making pretty decent money, especially over the last handful of years. Um, and, and honestly, margins are staying pretty decent right now. Um, so what, you know, when you think about um, the problem, right? And you mentioned like solving problems. Um, what is the problem with pricing right now? I mean, what, what, are, what are you able to fix or what did you set out to fix, I guess, uh, with AutoVision and what you're doing? Well, so you really hit the nail on the head when you said that, you know, dealers know what they're doing um, and know how to price cars. And, you know, we looked at, um, you know, when we looked at the industry, what we saw was that there were there were a lot of folks that were bringing data to bear in automotive, uh, but they were very opinionated. Um, so, you know, if you look at the way that cars are traditionally priced, you know, you can get down to specifics in terms of, you know, what zip code is it in and, you know, what options does it have on it? And, you know, some of those sorts of things. Um, but the thing that's never really taken into account um, is, you know, that dealer's, you know, specific view of the market. You know, a buy here, pay here lot looks very differently at a car than a franchise dealership who looks at it very differently than, you know, a big block retailer um, on the on the use side. And a large franchise group looks at it much differently than, you know, a two or three rooftop group. And, you know, that perspective of really understanding your local market um, is something that is, you know, wildly invaluable and sort of the, the secret sauce in a lot of ways to, you know, many dealerships operations. And so, you know, our goal with AutoVision was to use, you know, technology that's available now to do real-time processing, which allows dealers to really set the their view of the market into AutoVision. And then we use our tools to analyze the data that's there and show them this is what this vehicle is worth to you. So we we you know try very hard not to have an opinion about what a vehicle is worth. What we try to do is leverage you know these big tech tools to do a lot of analysis of data in real time, but then really just to automate and help to streamline and turn into a process the things that dealers already know. Yeah, so go a little deeper for me then. What, sure. what? Um, I guess maybe give me an example, right? Of of how would a vehicle be priced differently, either when being purchased or being sold? Um, for you know, pick pick your example, but you know, a buy here, pay here lot versus uh, uh, you know, twenty store franchise dealer group. Like, what what are those differences when you say their view of the world or their view of that vehicle? What variables come into play? Sure. Yeah. So let's so let's kind of step it down from. So if you're talking about like a big, you know, big dealer group that has geographic reach, when they're looking to buy a vehicle, they may not, you know, and all dealer groups operate a little bit differently, but they may not necessarily need to retail out of that vehicle at the store in which it was picked up. Right. They've got a store in Colorado. They've got a store in Los Angeles. You know, four wheel drive Jeep that they pick up in Los Angeles is probably going to sell a lot better in Colorado. Um, or it might not if that particular model is, you know, sort of flooded in the marketplace there. 
And so being able to analyze, you know, in real time, what are the geographic conditions and, you know, where where might I be able to best retail out of this based on the local market conditions and how much it's going to cost to actually move the vehicle. Um, you know, being able to look at all of those factors are really important. If you have the geographic reach, take advantage of it. What are some other examples? I mean, that's a good example, right? That's a, that's a good uh, realistic variable. So what uh, as you're as you're going down that path, where else were you heading? Sure. So if you look at, and this is true of really any franchise, um, you know, let's say that you're a Toyota dealership and, you know, you get a 2020 Prius that comes in as a trade. Well, you may look at that very differently than the Ford dealer across the street. You know, you might only want to see when you're looking at what market pricing is, you might only want to see other CPO cars from other Toyota dealerships. Or you might only want to see other franchise dealerships and you don't care as much about, you know, what some of the independents are doing. So your view of that vehicle being a Toyota dealership is very different than other people's will be. And our tech, again, allows you to, you know, look at that and sort of slice and dice it and say, for my dealership, when I'm looking at Toyotas that are within a couple of years old with these parameters, I want to look at those differently. I want to look at a different set of competitors. And maybe for other vehicles, you know, being a franchise store, um, I don't care about what some of the online retailers are doing or some of the, you know, sort of nationwide franchises. And we can even allow you to exclude or specifically include specific competitors automatically, again, as we're calculating prices for vehicles. And, and everything that we talk about, we don't we don't ever make a distinction between appraised time and price time. Um, so you can set up different parameters if you want within the system, but all the capabilities are the same. So you can look at that vehicle, whether you're appraising it or you're following that, you know, down the chain and pricing it later and say, how is the market actually shifting around me? And so one of the other things that we do that's very different is we add a lot of automation because we can get to the point where we're really encapsulating that dealer's view of the universe um, that allows us to then automate processes like when we go to price cars, we can update that retail market on a daily basis because we know all of the parameters that go into making that market. And then sort of stepping down from there from a, a franchise dealership or really sort of any franchise dealership, you start to talk about independent dealerships. Um, you know, there's a huge variety of independent dealerships um, and they all have different needs. You know, uh, a, you know, a large indie that's carrying two or 300 cars, very different than, you know, somebody that's got 50 cars, very different than one that has 10. Buy here, pay here, different than non-buy here, pay here. And again, when you look at all of that customization that goes into it, they might have the opposite view where they don't care what the franchises are retailing it for. Or, you know, for on-brand late model Toyota, they don't want to see what the CPO cars are retailing for because that's not really their market. That's not who they're appealing to. And so just, you know, kind of using those, you know, kind of three examples, um, you know, I think hopefully that gives you a little bit of context. Those are three, you know, kind of high level examples of how you can use AutoVision to define, hey, here's how I look at the universe or here's how I look at the universe for these specific cars. And then that's now baked into your praising, your pricing, and you can control that consistently throughout your store. Really enjoyed that conversation with AJ. I hope you like that clip too. It's again, it's just fascinating what he and his team have built and what they're doing in uh, in that used vehicle space. So, a quick reminder: uh, Reynolds Retail Summit is coming up here September 25th and 26th. If you haven't registered, make sure to do so now. Uh, you can do that at rayray.com/amplify. Uh, and and I hope you enjoyed this this format that we tried. Again, special thanks to Molly Swigert for finding these topics that are really evergreen and uh, and are standing the test of the time and and actually getting more interesting with time. Looking forward 
forward to maybe doing this some more in the future. Uh, definitely let us know what you think. Uh, before you hop off, don't forget, you can watch or listen to all episodes of Connected on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify podcasts. And make sure to subscribe so you're notified every other week when new episodes are released. Thanks so much, and we'll see you in two weeks.